Today is February 13th, 2024. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chistokom Aki, or Dekot Nagot Let me try that one more time in Satudane. Dekot Nagot Tine Siku. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns and trying to use they and them to decolonize my language. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my red road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. My Dene lineage roots me into the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to as the land of the hair people. My native, I, I'm native to Turtle Island, my Dene nation, but I'm also an uninvited guest to this area. In my language, it's Klinchotine Indehe, in Satudene, meaning many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Indian Act and Post Status Card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous inherent rights, Indigenous Two-Spirit and the Indigenous 2SLGBTQ community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. According to the 2023 Quality of Life Report from the Calgary Foundation, 31% of racialized Calgarians cannot find suitable employment. I am not a social worker, an elder, nor do I speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my journey as I walk. As a trauma-informed Dene woman who has attempted to run for harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow for incarceration, a denial of justice, a denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have worked to continue reports to advocate for and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today, and I hope we honor the many Indigenous lives lost for this so-called country named Canada. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm and as a citizen, see your role in reconciliation and as a treaty partner, because again, you are not an invited guest. You are an uninvited guest. It is the treaty that allows that. My uh, background in geomatics allows me to try to teach this to people who are open to hearing it. Uh, Pride Month should never be one month. It is important to understand that the straight agenda and gender violence was and is enforced on this land by Christian outsiders. Two-spirit have always been here. Land acknowledgements are, cr are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. Can they be performative? Of course they can. It's important that you understand what you're saying when you talk about land acknowledgements, that they have that meaning. I, If you don't introduce yourself, you don't acknowledge your ancestors, story of displacement, how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee or other land displacement, we as Indigenous people know how safe or unsafe you are to be around. If you won't pronounce those names, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, economic impro uh, imposed economic oppression, your role in reconciliation, I know I won't have you around me, my family, my community, because you're not safe. It's really that simple. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or whatever town you're from, you show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. Jesse Winty's book Unreconciled explains this perfectly as do many Indigenous authored books. Land Back is a movement that could save the planet from climate change created by colonialism, but it would also be a part of a, tre a treaty partnership, part of meaningful reconciliation, 
honoring global initiatives like the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot South and the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Dainai, and Bagani. These lands are now Treaty 7, signed recently in 1877 with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Good Stoney, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stoney, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments, questions, or e-transfers. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe, or you can just go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So I want to welcome my guest today and allow her to introduce herself in her way or they in their way. Oh, thank you so much. I just want to first off say it is such a privilege to be invited into this space to have a conversation with you. I've seen your content on social media for a while now, and I'm such a fan of what you do. So this is really exciting for me. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm really honored (laughs) for you to be here. Thank you. Do you want to introduce yourself in your way? Yes, of course. I do have, you can probably hear, I'm coming off the tail end of a cold. So if my voice isn't 100%, that's why. But hello, everybody. My name is Kelsey, but you can call me Kels. I want to say Oki because I am also coming in from the Treaty 7 lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy and the Nitsidapi. I am so grateful for the life that I've been able to live on these lands, for the relationships I've been able to form with community. It's such a beautiful, beautiful place. I'm, I'm really happy to be here and to be able to be so queer and open and celebrated in my life. It's been such a journey. And I think we're going to get to talk about quite a bit of that today with our respective works, our podcast. It's going to be fun. I'm so excited. You know, um, so just for folks who don't know, my little one, uh, came out first. I'm pansexual. I'm like, okay, great. You're pansexual. Word. It became, um, no, I'm pretty sure I just don't like guys. And I'm like, <laughs> Hey, that's cool. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to be the supportive mom, but of course, cause I'm straight and cis and older generation X, sometimes I miss the mark. <laughs> but that's growth, right? That's yeah. like learning from other and it's kind of fun and can can it be be funny even a little bit to look back on at those moments and I think you're doing great oh it's so fun let me tell you I I've been really enjoying when and especially when they give me a hard time Uh, so they are trying to use they and them for to decolonize our language you know because Mm -hmm. he and she were invented with colonialism so that's they're trying to go with they and them so I'm trying to refer to them as they and them and uh even though I say my daughter and I I know um youngling is something I'm trying to say my youngling but of course that's a Star Wars inference I was gonna say (laughs) it's like it's giving a little the force be with you but in a sleigh way you know yeah (laughs) I like queerling too my little queerlings but oh that one's good yeah Yeah. I think that should be the move yeah, yeah, for sure. So hopefully I can start saying that better and, you know, edit my script. So I, I go through and say they, them, queerling, youngling. And, and <laughs> oh, man, you could get some like six stickers. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. And um, oh, and I don't know if you ever heard of voices. You know, again, I'm old. 2016, when Black Lives Matter stopped the Toronto Pride uh, parade, mm. we had conversations here about racism and at that time uh this was before the national inquiry report um things Mm. like that and i was still trying to convince the gay community that indigenous people exist and that two-spirit were here first and that two-spirit uh need to be recognized as part of the issue of you know racial colonial violence and so that has been a very difficult journey for me because Mm. i i talked to them And there are still some folks that won't acknowledge the 2S um, and still don't understand how the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous people are part of this conversation, which again, it is February 13th. So tomorrow is the day that we do our marches nationally to honor those that have been uh, killed or or have gone missing over the last year. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, ironically, 
you know, it, it's been a, a lot to try to get the gay community to come and join our marches and join our vigils and join us in understanding that this is a part of their community too. Mm, and I think that's such a, you know, I, I truly feel that's a failure of different folks or different groups in our community because there is no liberation for our community without liberation for all members of our community. And I think I really appreciate that we both take that kind of intersectional approach to the stories we share, the messages that we want to get out there. And yeah, I, I even from my experiences, I don't live in Calgary, but without naming names, there was someone who's quite a prominent figure in the community in Calgary. I had simply been asking about Asian and Indigenous queer histories in the space on those lands. And I was very much shut out of the conversation. And the tone was very, you know, off-putting. Like I was, I felt like an insect for even asking those questions. And I was thinking to myself, why is it just by simply asking and vocalizing, I'm being treated this way when my honestly white peers next to me were received in a very different way with this individual. So it's something that's happening for sure. Yeah, no, I'm really grateful to hear you say that, but I'm angry because I mm -hmm. don't want that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that from uh, my youngling. I don't want that for any anyone who is in this area at all, because again, mm -hmm. racism is a real issue in the LGBTQ community. And until that is starting to get dismantled a bit and people who are white, who identify as LGBTQ kind of do that inward work and decolonize mm -hmm. and do that anti-racism work, like it, there shouldn't be QT BIPOC to the side of the yes. LGBTQ community that should never be. And it is that way because that white supremacy is so deep and, and mm -hmm. so gross, uh, not to mention sexism and gendered violence in general too. Right. And yeah. uh, like, Oh, I got to tell you a story. Um, so I'm an old nerd and I love reading. So I have a book club. I've had Me a book too. club since 2016. And so we'd read the National Inquiry, like all the volumes of it. And then we read the National Action Plan. And like, I was so offended and mm. insulted by the National Action Plan <laughs> after reading the National Inquiry, because the National Inquiry is so beautiful it, it mm. has so much culture in it. It's so inclusive to all of the other different diasporas. It talks about gendered violence. It talks about uh, decolonizing it. Like it, it is the model we need to be going. And then there's this national action plan poorly put together. Doesn't even have the proper acronyms throughout it. Hardly addresses racism, uh, mm -hmm. hardly addresses decolonization. Right. I'm like, and it, it was insulting to me when they said they needed to put it out because I'm like, we have the national inquiry. I don't understand. But that's that white supremacy. We're going to put out an awful mediocre document called the National Action Plan. And meanwhile, there's this beautiful document of the report that would absolutely help like the 2SLGBT community in such a constructive foundational way. And the white supremacy in the LGBTQ community was like, no, we're following the national action plan. That's mm -hmm. like, a like, it's just garbage. It's just garbage. So, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it's, it's actually just, I'm getting like chills having this conversation with you a little bit because in my day-to-day -day life, when I'm not podcasting or doing shenanigans on TikTok, um, I actually work in both the museum, like heritage sphere in Canada, as well as like art galleries, but very much dealing with these issues that we see and that we're talking about. And I've been to conferences in Victoria with the BC Museums Association. I spoke at the Canadian Museums Association's federal conference. And these things, it's so amazing that we're articulating um, decolonization, we're articulating reconciliation truth, but then it kind of stops at the institution and we're still facing those barriers. So that's really something I see even in my day-to-day -day work and really try to surround myself with fellow individuals that are championing these causes and uplifting the voices that need to be heard. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I, uh, so we, we read all the volumes of the Truth mm. and Reconciliation Commission. And I, I always tell people that. I can always tell when people haven't read the actual um, books because like, so for example, even one of our, our native sisters was like, oh, I just learned that, um, you know, the priests were putting together and making arranged marriages in, in the mm. um, 
residential schools. And I'm like, yep, that was in the national inquiry reports or the, uh, the commission reports, if you've read the books. So like, mm-hmm. I can always tell when people haven't. And I, I always wish that everybody would just make it their mission to read these because they're very clear. But back to your point about talking about, you know, historical data, museums, etc. like, what, what a missed opportunity for all of the white supremacist people in those positions of power to not see how fulsome our actual history could be. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what, like it, cause it, it is such a, 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 an amazing history of, of these cultures coming together. Like literally when we talk about, you know, Canada could lead the way internationally at showing people how reconciliation could be done. This is yes. what we're talking about. But mm-hmm. like right at this moment, I just want to honor uh, the Palestinians and just say outright, like their um, all of their museums, all of their like thousands year old structures and buildings are literally in rubble right now, mm-hmm. and and their institutions, like their university institutions, in rubble. So that is a lot of historical knowledge, like er- erased and you know, Mm -hmm. Indigenous erasure is an issue that matters to me that I talk about here. And I really want to be able to walk into museums and see not just performative, but like meaningful history Mm -hmm. of of our, of us, us as people. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I studied anthropology for my BA and I was working on my MA in anthropology, specifically in heritage studies. And what you're talking about with like this destruction of cultural heritage, tangible heritage, they have like a term for it. I can't remember the exact thing, but it's, it's a form of terrorism. Essentially. It's like, um, yeah, it's a deliberate destruction to erase people's ties to who they are and understanding of who they are so that they start to lose their identity. And especially with this, what we're seeing in Palestine, this attachment to place and specific place as well. So yeah, I feel like that's a whole tangent that we could just get into. There's so much here. Oh, there is. But you know, what matters to me is that I'm getting to know you. You know, what's funny is that now that we're connected on TikTok, I, I see your TikToks all the time. You put out great content. So <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, I was actually approached by TikTok to be a content creator, and um, oh no way! I, yeah, they they talked about it being basically a huge production. Like you make it a mm-hmm. production, and like you seem to do it so effortlessly. Do you want to talk about what TikTok is like for you? Oh my goodness! Well, thank you so much. I'm just blushing on the other side of the screen <laughs> over here. Um, TikTok, I kind of have like a, a push and pull love hate relationship with it. Cause I think you maybe have even experienced this yourself, but I so often hear that queer or BIPOC racialized creators often get shadow banned is what it feels like where you have an audience, but then you're putting content out there and nobody is seeing it. So I even remember say a year ago, I was trying to create content that I knew my audience was looking for. And I would get maybe like 200 views on something. And it was kind of like frustrating. But when it goes well, TikTok has been an amazing platform for me to connect with community. Um, I actually, I've told this story before, but I was in graduate studies here in Lethbridge at the U of L, and it was the pandemic. I had just gone through a pretty heartbreaking breakup. um, And I was very alone as a queer woman. At that point, like not only was I isolated at home, but I realized that my former partner had been like my primary person to be gay with or like talk about queer things, watch queer media to have that space. And so when we broke up, I I lost that as well. And that really drove me to like seek community. So I heard that TikTok was where all the gays were, all the queers. (laughs) So I decided to download it. I was just, you know, watching content and then slowly started putting out stuff of my own. And it was when I started speaking specifically about being a queer woman in Alberta that I started getting a lot of people commenting. And often they were so surprised. They'd be like, I thought you were in Vancouver or Toronto because no one's queer in Alberta. And I was like, are you joking? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, that's how it started. And it was so confusing to me because I was like, clearly we're here. Like, we're all in my comment section. Why do we all feel so isolated from each other? Why do we feel like we can't have happy, fulfilling lives in this specific place? So I just started interviewing people. And then slowly I applied for the Tell Us Story Hive grant. Have you ever heard of those before? I sure have. Yes, I'm really glad you got one. Oh my goodness. I am very fortunate enough to say that I've had two of them. So I filmed a season one and that's what the kind of first set of episodes that are out there on the podcast came from season one with tell a story hive. And 
what an experience, like getting funding, going to Vancouver to shoot a commercial. Like I was a little anthropologist in Lethbridge. I didn't <laughs> see this coming, right? Um, and then I did a season two, I've applied hopefully for a season three, but it's just opened so many doors for me. Like I've gone to speak in Ottawa. I've done all of these kind of things. And I just feel so incredibly blessed and fortunate every single day. Amazing. Um, so you, you are queer, you identify as queer. How was that process being in Alberta? Oh boy. Well, you know, I, I moved to Lethbridge 10 years ago. Now I grew up actually three and a half hours, three and a half hours Northeast of Edmonton in like the Bonneville cold Lake area. Sure. Yeah. So if you're familiar with it, Michelle, it is small. <laughs> it is isolated. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say at the time that it was particularly yassified. So I was very in the closet to myself for a long time. It wasn't until I came here that I was really able to confront those questions of identity and to feel like in a safe, supportive space. I think everybody gives Lethbridge a bit of a, a bad rap and maybe that it's a smaller town and they think it's really conservative or religious, what have you. But it is surprisingly vibrant with the queer community and very open-minded. And I have to say that I've been privileged enough that in the time I've lived here, I've never been super like aggressively discriminated against or treated excessively different. I've just felt very welcome living in this city. So I do have to give it credit for that. That's great. No, I, um, we thought we were going to live in Lesbridge for five minutes, um, but it didn't work oh. out for us. Yeah. So we, it went, we did go down there and I got to know a few folks and it was actually during an election. So I kind of got to watch some of the, you know, politics of the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was really, really quite interesting for me to kind of be a part of that. And I, I voted in the, in the municipal election because we had lived there for that exact moment. Um, and it, all of the work I do, all the activism I do is politically talking about, you know, what, mm -hmm. what is just the shortcomings of reconciliation, basically, when it comes to politics, and it, it's all the time, it's always, um, I didn't want to say this yet, but I will say it right now, even with the NDP leadership, I know a lot of um, white progressives think, oh, this is so great for us. But I have yet to hear them acknowledge their treaty relationship, anything of any of the leaders that have mm -hmm. come out. So I'm not really super excited about the whole thing. And, uh, and it's funny, because um, in the queer community, we are really encouraging all the parents, all of the people who are 16 and above, to take out memberships for either the UCP or the NDP. And all of the white progressors are like, Oh, my God, I could never do it with the uh, UCP. And I'm like, but you have to and actually, you two are not different to me at all because you're both really you know white supremacist racist when it comes to your policies so to me mm. it's it's no different um but i'm a federal liberal uh part of the executive so if i uh take out an ndp membership provincially it automatically connects to their federal and that's actually a it's a stupid little clause in in both of I had no their idea. constitutions and my constitution that you can't have memberships to two parties now most people and i would actually um promote for most canadians to take out memberships to all of the parties because if you're not a part of the national executive then you don't need to worry about it um but when it comes to, you know, being in that position, I, I'm not going to, like, I have to follow my constitution. So, <laughs> but anyway, that bigger picture, we want to make sure that we get a leadership review of the UCP that's coming up. And if our people are taking out memberships and saying, no, this sucks, then hopefully we can make some changes there. And then conversely with the NDP, um, you know, challenge each of the candidates to see who is the best person for like I'm always about reconciliation and to me that's the basis of even queer mm -hmm. issues but f the queer community doesn't see it that way because they're so racist so that we're not there yet I'm hoping one day <laughs> one mm -hmm. day. <laughs> yeah and yeah. I think like it just highlights too like as racialized individuals and for me even like being queer and racialized whether I want to be political or not my existence has been political since the day I came onto this planet if I wanted to go into a room and just live and be unbothered it doesn't really happen and I think like sometimes people 
like when they hear us speaking honestly about our experiences, there can be this defensive uh, response. And I, I want to say like, it's not that we're saying every single white person is harmful, but these are consistent things that are coming up for you and I and our lived experiences in this specific place. And we're just advocating that we want to learn from each other and do better and heal together. And this is one way that we can do that moving forward. Right. And, and we do bring solutions is the other component to it. And so the sooner that, you know, people can start addressing white supremacy, the inner white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera, then we can start working on solutions better. But right now mm -hmm. um, it is just met with defensiveness. And that is kind of the best part about this podcast is that I don't have to placate to white feelings here, mm -hmm. you know, work that, diva, right. That that's what the other podcasts are for that are predominantly by white people <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and they can they can just feel good about themselves there but here mm -hmm. like I'm going to talk about Taylor Swift not calling out racism I'm going to talk about Alyssa Milano and her racism when it all mm -hmm. when it comes to the Kansas Chiefs and then of course the San Francisco 49ers I don't know if you've been following any of that on Twitter I'm a big Twitter person. I am so beyond sports I am not that gay <laughs> like yeah no me too I get you I I don't I I'm not with that but the 49ers the the root of that was the the killing of over a hundred thousand indigenous oh. people for the gold rush and they proudly have their football team named after it. So I was seeing it on Facebook and in Twitter, all of the native community being like the 49ers versus the Chiefs. This sounds like a hell of a powwow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, That's so, funny. Yeah. So what's the name of your podcast? Oh my goodness. Well, my podcast is called Queer in Alberta. And you know, it was kind of like a name that just fell into my lap as I was making these videos and putting them onto TikTok. I was like, I don't know what to caption this. And it just boom, one day there it was. And it gained traction. And I do want to say like, I have had the rare like occasional comment where someone has vocalized that they don't like the word queer and I think it's important that we recognize that for a different generation perhaps an older generation that word did have so much harm and connotation to it and I don't want to erase that history I think it's interesting to see how this younger generation is trying to reclaim it and give it new life and it's it's difficult because I don't want to ignore those feelings but how do we move forward in a word that is as inclusive as I can get. You know what I mean? Sure. You know, I, um, I was struggling with that for a long time when I first mm -hmm. was, uh, and it's so, justified. Yeah. Because I, in my world, queer was a product, uh, a swear. It was said to put people down. It was an oppressive word. Mm -hmm. So it was the youth that was like, okay, get over it. We're taking it back, start using it. And that is part of the reason why I still use youngling instead of queerling. Because I just mm -hmm. don't feel comfortable doing that yet. However, when I'm in the circles, most people are like totally cool with with queerling. It is my generation and older that are like, I would prefer gay. I would prefer lesbian. I would prefer, mm -hmm. you know, uh, other other words. And so um, and I find that with the indigenous community, too. Uh, a lot of the older generation have no problem saying the word Indian. To me, that is like the N word. So I I don't ever use it for me. Um, mm -hmm. But I proudly tell people the Indian Act because it's like saying a really like horrible word in in that bigger picture, bigger context, and that's Canadian law. And it's funny. I was watching another podcast, and they were saying it, it was uh, two black people talking about how. In the States, even the most racist redneck will admit there's racism. But mm -hmm. in Canada, we have this real, there's no racism in Canada. So you, yes. half of your conversation is explaining, yes, there is racism in, in Canada before you can even start tackling it. <laughs> because oh of the my denial gosh, yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking of like, because I'm biracial and I want to start by saying like, I love my father. He is a kind, loving man, but like anyone else, he is not perfect. And like raising biracial children has really like opened up some of those areas that could, in my opinion, have room for growth and room for learning with one another. And he's even told me like, I don't view you as a person of color while also telling me that like, I don't know, I was on stage in a musical as a kid and they had to put um, 
what is it? Not complexion, uh, foundation. That's what it is. Onto my face to match the stage lights. And I looked really, really tan. And he was like, who's that Mexican kid on stage? Oh, wait, that's my daughter. And I'm like, so you can think I'm not a person of color, but then also think these things, you know, it's just so wild having to have those conversations of like, no, what you're saying, you're not trying to be malicious, but we can still do better for one another. Yeah, no, I actually think in Canada, we need to have a real conversation about biracial kids because that's me, right? Mm. I, I really have to unpack a lot of that. And and I was really, you know, when I had my daughter, I faced systemic racism in the hospital. We never had that conversation um, mm. that that was going to happen. Now I tell every, every single racialized person in this uh, province, if the moment you get pregnant, I know birth plans are a wonderful thing to be worried about, but you should actually start creating your safety plan and how to deal with racism in the hospital, because that is a real thing. And that mm -hmm. is a horrible thing that we can't just enjoy getting pregnant and having our children. We have to make safety plans to be able to save our children from being apprehended from those racist people who are running the system right now. Mm -hmm. So like that is a real issue to me. And my dad never prepared me for any of these conversations about racism and sexism and, and the horrible feelings that I have on a regular basis when I'm out in the world. That is another part of the podcast. I just yes. feel like I can safely have this conversation with you as opposed mm -hmm. to having to be out in the real world where the police are watching, like, did they pull over my kid? Like, I know. Like, I, I I feel like anytime biracial kids, no matter like if we're different ages or what, when we meet, it's like a different, like looking in the mirror in a different way, you know, like yeah. someone who can finally understand your experiences and you just feel safe with them and at home with them. Like, it's the exact same thing for me. My nanai, my mother, she, I think, very much assumed that marrying a white man, she would have white children. And we never had those conversations about like, why is someone following me home? Why does that happen all the time? Far too often. Why is someone treating me differently from my other friends for seemingly no reason? Like, why is it always only me? And so it's almost been, I think, a, a, another way of healing for us is because with her marrying my father, she was very much expected to assimilate and like adopt to his culture, all of these different things. But now that we're older, my mom, my brother and me, we talk about it. And it's a space for her to vocalize those frustrations and to speak in a way that I really feel sad that she couldn't when we were young. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really important to talk about. Uh, my mom, uh, obviously, Denny, she really has tried to assimilate the best she can. Mm -hmm. And when I would ask her questions of the past, like she, she just does, she doesn't have that education. And, um, and you can tell it doesn't need to worry about it. And, you know, and especially at this age, she doesn't need to worry about that. So but of course, I'm worried about her, because she's a visible native in Edmonton. Mm. And she was in pain, uh, not that long ago. And I, I was like ready to burn down her doctor's office for not helping her with pain management sooner. And it was, mm -hmm. it was delays like, oh no, the pharmacist, they're just waiting a couple of days. I'm like, you're in immense pain that need this immense medication and we're waiting. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and I just said, mom, like, I'm going to come up there. And only then did she make a second phone call to get going. And so she, she doesn't have an inner to advocate for herself. Cause as you said, she was, your, your mom was expected to assimilate. I have yes. never met an indigenous woman older than me that does, doesn't work with the system the best they can and not mm -hmm. question it, even though their rights are completely violated in like every single institution that you can think of. So, um, mm. you know, I, I wish my mom, my granny, my aunts and uncles, like, I wish they had a better world, but they, 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 and they just don't want to talk about it. So mm -hmm. I didn't have that support system either to talk about these things. And, uh, that was part of the impetus of having the podcast is that if I feel this alone and isolated, how many other people must feel that way? And, uh, you know, I, I actually got the most, I, I cried when I read it last night, I got a, a message from a Palestinian who was like, oh, wow. literally your podcast is the only thing I can listen to right now that validates my existence. And I, I just think that's so horrible that our Canadian media is that bad that mm -hmm. like, I, I said, like I, on my book club last night, and, and that will usually come out after this. Um, 
I, I said right on there, like we're seeing genocide real time on our phones right now. Yeah. And somehow our politicians and Canadian media just can't see that and won't address it. But like that, that's just so wild to me. I can't understand this world that we're living in where we have the technology that literally refutes every single word that just came out of your mouth. So. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think like these terms can be really like they're obviously huge terms with such a weight to them. And I think that intimidates people and makes them nervous. But what I would really encourage people to do is like I went to a talk on Palestine here at the Galt Museum here in Lethbridge uh, maybe a month or so ago. Mm. And it was by she was a woman that I went to university with. Actually, we talked after it was nice to catch up, but she had grown up in the diaspora here but had visited home in Palestine throughout her life and she gave like that firsthand account of what that experience is like about what happened in generations of her family so when you hear these terms and you you are unsure about what's going on I just really encourage people whether it's through listening to us or even better experts like that speaker go and hear for yourself like what is going on and take that time to educate yourself we have the ability to have knowledge at our fingertips Right. Uh, we have a wonderful activist that's here and um, she's a Jewish woman. We have a, a great organization of uh, the Jewish independent voices. And anyway, she was a nurse, a Jewish nurse that went into Palestine and became obviously a, a spokesperson for Palestine ever since then within the Jewish community. You know, unfortunately, her Jewish family pretty much shunned her and mm-hmm. she's not you know, right. Like that. And that's a real thing. Like even a, as an indigenous person, it makes people really uncomfortable in the indigenous community when you're so comfortable talking about colonialism and racism. And like, it's hard because you're at the bottom of this Canadian socioeconomic ladder Mm -hmm. and a lot of funding uh, can be related to whether or not you get it based off of how much you assimilate. So uh, for me, I've never, you know, really understood how hard it was to vocalize these things and that explains the silence too and why so-called progressives can think that they are in a more progressive country when they actually are not Mm -hmm. and I think like even on a simple level with our experiences I think correct me if I'm wrong I think you might resonate with this I often view like my ability to speak out about the things that are happening, whether it's within my own family, when my dad says something either micro or macro aggressive, mm-hmm. whether it's malicious intent or not, my ability to even call that out comes from the privilege of the better life that my mother afforded me with the sacrifices of coming to this country and giving up so much for me to have more opportunities than her. And so I I feel that frustration, but I sometimes I'm always sitting there like I am just so privileged that I am able to speak out about it and advocate for her because of this gift that she gave me and my brother. Mm. Do you find that being in Alberta, because my dad is white and he has said some really problematic things too, Mm -hmm. but like, I know he loves me. Like I have absolutely never questioned that. And, um, And so I wonder for you, like, you know, when you hear these incredibly problematic things, but you know, they love you so much, um, you know, you, you feel that quite regularly too. I so do like, cause again, I do believe that my dad and his family, they're good people. It's just, they come from such a rural environment and that's not to like, you know, broadly paint all rural experiences in one way. Even in my podcast, I've met some amazing folks that are like queering up their small towns and living vibrantly and proudly in places you would never expect. But in the case of my family, so much of it I know is age and culture at the time when they were growing up in small religious communities. So it's like when my dad says something, when I was younger, I used to get much more like inflammatory and upset. But now I try really hard to like meet him there and have like a normal conversation or one that doesn't get all crazy. Because he <laughs> even told me recently, he I was really impressed with him. He was like, I don't, he said, I like to debate in the hopes that I might learn something from you. I don't like to argue, but I want to try to learn. And that's something I never imagined my dad would say even five years ago. <laughs> Well, I can tell you, my dad, he, one of the things I got from him is that he reads. 
and mm-hmm. he read flowers of the killer moon and and was like he was pretty taken aback from it and he always finds uh, little niche books uh, actually because you're in lethbridge i said galt museum has some of the best uh indigenous books that you can't find at like a chapters mm-hmm. or anything like that. i used to so, work there yeah no I, i've been there a few times uh, recently for a wedding um but that was kind of going to be my place i go to all the time and um you know, something that really struck me from that museum that I was just pretty mm. taken aback from was they had the rope that did the last hanging there. And it was, uh, yeah. And I, I, was, I was like, I think that uh-huh. means a smudge. Uh-huh. <laughs> when was this? Because as far as I know, there hasn't been anything, at least while I was there. Yeah, this couldn't have been more than what, a year or two ago. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah, no, it, it, it was, I, I want to say it was trying to highlight the Chinese community. And that was one of the highlights. I'm like, oh, I, I, I would have went with something different, but th- that's okay. Agreed, bestie. Oh my goodness. Well, I do have a, a positive to tell you. My best friend, uh, her name is Kamina Weasel Moccasin, and she has been the Indigenous curator at the museum uh, for, I think, just under two years now. And so, you know how the Galt Museum also has Fort Whoop Up down in the River Valley? Yep. That site, of course, we could have a whole discussion on, but what Kamina has done in specifically the Blackfoot Gallery there, um, she's like revitalized it. They reconstructed it. She put community first and at the heart of it, there's like photos of um, her son dragon in a teepee next to photos of like a historical one from like say a hundred years ago or so to show that Blackfoot people are still very much on this landscape they are still alive and present and I just I love Kamina to death but I'm the biggest fan of what she's doing in that space oh that's so great earlier this morning um, so a lot of people here in Calgary would know Adam North Pagan he is uh, from the Bukani Nation and actually he has a display that was there and so there it was in the in the news and such so I was sharing it to him and some other folks and he has lots of stuff on his Facebook and so I know that they're they're trying to make some good changes and I I Mm -hmm. do believe like there's been a shift there uh we we've gone from a lot of indigenous erasure to hey we're still here and that teepee that you have in your museum that's 100 years old is actually my great-grandmother's and here's what it looks like today and here's my mm-hmm. daughter's, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so that that's been a nice change. And, and then again, mm-hmm. you know, the inclusion of the residential schools and such, because like, you know, in uh, Calgary, especially we have a still a movement of denialism. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. sucks that we have to like showcase it in order for people to believe that it's a thing, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it is what it is. And that's how we're going to move on and, and heal from this, I believe. And then, you know, hopefully move forward in a better way, but we'll see. I, things feel really um, good right now when it comes to some things and then, you know, poor in others. So for example, uh, we're in Alberta, we're talking about queer issues. Um, you know, Daniel Smith and her hot mess the last couple of weeks uh Uh, i am seeing lots of community organizing though and that has been amazing as a result to try to uh fight this ridiculousness because you know it is a a minority issue however Mm. all minorities have rights and privileges uh, that should be equal to everybody else's so even if the heterosexual community is pushing back because of ignorance and fear you know, we, we have the queer community that is pushing back and saying, mm-hmm. you know, this is what, you know, being a minority in this country is allowed. You're still allowed rights and privileges, not erasure. So I, I am, you know, it, it's, it's hard because Danielle Smith is obviously a hot mess and, and her politics are a hot mess. But on the flip side, you know, finally connecting to people. I've unblocked a few folks that I was like, whatever, you're racist. I never want to talk to you again. But I've mm-hmm. for- been forced to unblock them because, um, you know, this issue is bigger than that right now. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think as a lighthearted way of making the a bit of funniness out of the situation, I do enjoy how so many queer folks have been 
calling her Marlena Smith now instead, because if you want to have your preferred name, we need parental consent. Um, I do think that's quite cheeky. But as we were discussing even before this recording started, there was a fantastic Alberta Trans Studies Zoom virtual talk that was hosted by the Critical Hub. I think that's what it's called out of MRU, I want to say in Calgary. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not from Calgary, so if it's the wrong specific location, we can Google after and figure it out. Um, but a few of the speakers, like it was such a grounding experience to hear them talk because I think a lot of us are feeling that fear and anxiety of like, these are the most aggressive policies posed that are hope potentially going to be coming in the fall in Canada. They're more intense than what we saw in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick. It's a, it's an anxious situation. Um, but one of the professors, I think his name is Dr. Christopher Wells from Grant McEwen University. He also works with the Edmonton Queer History Project, which is another great resource for folks. He was great in establishing that this is not the first time that something intense targeting the trans or queer communities of Alberta has been proposed and that Albertans have a history of showing up for these minority communities and, and telling conservative governments, actually, we do not want this here. This is not okay with us. And so I think for younger people too, like for me, I remember um, students protesting Jim Prentice, that was his name, right? And walking out of um, school over his GSA rules and all of that kind of stuff. But this is like the big, big thing in my lifetime targeting my communities. So it was nice to hear from people that have done this a little longer stories of success, even if it took a while of Albertans saying, no, this is not okay. And winning that fight. You know, and, and honestly, a lot of gay history comes from Alberta in general Absolutely. Uh, as a result. Like, so there's a really great book, uh, gay history in Calgary. Um, I really highly recommend it. Kevin Allen does good work on that. And yeah, I, I found it was actually at the Galt museum, Lethbridge, and it was called uh, um, Prairie fairies. Yes. Yeah. So I bought it for my, my little queerling and uh, I know they haven't got a chance to read it yet. And I, I mean, I have a book club, so I got to like stack what books I'm going to read when. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Priorities. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm really looking forward to reading that book as well, because I think, um, yeah, back to that, that concept, like uh, queer people have always been here and there's always been stories behind it. And there's always that you know story of resiliency of of revolution even where it's like oh you want you think we're gonna do that this is what we're gonna do in response then and um Mm -hmm. and I've found that quite amazing as an indigenous person to learn from the queer community what they've been able to get away with where I haven't so you know seeing that as well about how do we how do we decolonize with equality despite being under the Indian Act, right? Being oppressed under the Indian Act. So mm-hmm. um, same with the Black community, so many good teachings, especially from Black women, Black queer women, um, helping me try to understand this world that we live in. So I wish the queer community knew what a godsend it is. It helps me as a, an Indigenous woman in this insane world sometimes just feel normal <laughs> <laughs> and heal and laugh and enjoy life again, right? Mm. So Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. a few of my indigenous friends always tell me that laughter is the best medicine, and I couldn't agree more. Yeah, agreed. I, uh, I, geez, I want to keep talking to you about a million other things. Is there anything you want to touch base with today? Oh man, well, I, I really just think again. Thank you for bringing me on, and I guess like with that Alberta Trans Studies information that I shared a few moments ago, I am currently in the process of scheduling two interviews with two of the speakers from that talk. One is Dr. J.J. Wright. She is a lesbian professor whose expertise from what I understood in that conversation was all about sex education and how these issues do not just impact queer youth, but it's going to be damaging to even straight or cisgendered heterosexual youth because they're not going to have access to the knowledge that they need to have safe sex, to take care of each other, consent, all of that. It's not just one small community that's being impacted. And then the other, I believe his name is Dr. Tobias. I can't remember his last name at the moment, but he's out of Athabasca U. And I really appreciated his vocalization and naming of insidious care and how these policies with parental rights are being formed as a type of care and concern, but this concern is actually harmful to the groups that are being impacted. So having those like words to 
amplify my understanding and broaden them. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's going to be a great conversation with both of them. And mm. uh, the folks from Critical Hub are coming on too to talk about, we hear a lot about groomers and pedophilia being associated with the queer community, how to have those conversations and set boundaries. I think that yeah, it's a jam-packed session we got going on. Oh, that's going to be such a good one. I can't wait to see it. Um, so where would people find it to listen? Yes, Queer in Alberta is available on all major podcasting platforms. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, wherever you look. It also has a video component to it. So you can either watch that directly on Spotify or go to the YouTube channel to see the whole episodes as well. Um, I do post little snippets and clips to TikTok and my Instagram. My TikTok handle is underscore Kelsifer, K-E-L-S-I-F-E-R. And then my Instagram is kels.valandella. It's actually my mother's maiden name and my dad's name mixed together. So K-E-L-S dot V-A-L-E-N-D-E-L-A. Wow. Well, it sounds amazing. Thank you for that. Thank you for coming on my show. I absolutely invite you to come back anytime to talk about whatever subject that you feel that you have yeah. to, especially if you get that grant and you're doing another season, absolutely come back on to tell us about what that's going to look like. And uh, I'm loving your TikTok, so I'm just going to keep liking them and resharing them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Again, I'm blushing in HD. Oh, good. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I, I'm so honored to have you on. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to do my exit. It has lots of different resources. And I absolutely encourage you to hop in if I'm saying something and you're like, let's add to this. Let, let's, mm -hmm. you know, I know, I know something here. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've know. been able to, yeah, I've been able to create some really cool stuff in the past year. Have you um, heard of It Gets Better Canada? Yes. Yes, I wrote a couple pieces for them and did an original podcast series for them. One is called Queerness on the Prairies, and it, share, it shares the stories of like me growing up in a small town and of my friend who was a bisexual teacher in Stetler, Alberta at the time. And like her story was very much just positive and uplifting, something you would never imagine from small, small places, like I said. I also made them a uh, journaling toolkit for how you can like take a queer approach to journaling as a way of like processing your feelings. And then I did um, the podcast series called Our Stories, Our Pride, where I talked to three experts about like working with queer youth and all those sorts of things. It was really fun. Oh my goodness. You see, and, and this is what I want people to hear is that that information is out there. It's just a matter of finding it as opposed to, you know, it, um, that message that I got where the mainstream media is missing it. I think that's what the beauty of these podcasts are is that, you know, mm. regardless of how weird they are right now, that voice wasn't really being said prior. And that is such the power of these podcasts and documentaries is that we can actually hear about our neighbors in a different way, in a good way. So mm. I just love it. Thank you so much. And what about your book club? You said you have one too. Oh, no, I just love reading like you. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to make sure. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I do want to, if I can, Michelle, there is one last thing I want to say. Sure. Um, I've always viewed like in the conversations that I've had with people, whether on the podcast or not, there's such an ethic of care in how I want people to feel respected and seen in conversation with me. And it's just been such a privilege to hear the stories of all of these Albertans, whether they're in small towns or big cities. It's made me feel like there's such a beautiful community here for me that maybe I wasn't aware of in the same way before. And those Albertans that are maybe nervous or intimidated by what's happening right now, we have each other's backs. We can lift each other up. We're going to get through this. There's just so much love in this identity, regardless of what the stereotypes say. Mm -hmm. And you know what, I should give a shout out to wematter.ca for the same mm. reason. Um, if you're a young Indigenous queerling, and you're not really too sure what's going on in the world, I just need you to know you matter. And yes. uh, there's a whole ton of resources specific to you and our experience in this Canadian diaspora. And I I just want every little queerling to feel loved and validated. And I wish that they had all their resources available to them all the time. I know there's been a huge shift 
since I was younger. I mean, I, I'm so old. Even me. Yeah. Like it, I grew up in Sylvan Lake, you know, the library was open from a certain time to a certain time. And I had to, you know, make sure my life followed within those parameters mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to get my new, whatever, Nancy Drew book or whatever it is I was like excited Icon. to read. So, <laughs> you know, um, my, my hope is, is that, um, you know, with the internet, with these phones, with there's so much available literature in our in our libraries and such that people really do feel loved and seen, even though right now it might kind of suck for whatever reason, because you're hearing, I don't know, a really influential uncle or somebody in your life that um, feels very um, able to say something negative, not mm-hmm. knowing maybe your story and maybe not open to it quite yet. So um, I'm hoping that our, our younglings understand that um, there is a whole army of parents and aunties and uncles and adults trying to push back. And like you said, we have a long history of it and we will continue to do it and um, happy to stand in that place. So if you reach out, I know that there's a a nonprofit in your area that is willing Mm -hmm. to take that phone call. And I will have some resources as well for phone numbers if uh, it's two in the morning and you need to talk. So, uh, yeah. So thank you, Kels, for coming on. And thank you for sharing who you are, your story, your podcast, Queer in Alberta. And I'm hoping that a few folks will be because like I annoy me. I just love hearing other voices. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, man. This has just been the best start to my day. I think I'm going to have a sleigh afternoon after this. And I know we're going to have to meet in Calgary soon. Absolutely. Oh, I can't wait. And or Lethbridge. I mean, I love an excuse to go down there. So amazing. And now everyone knows where to go to go meet the Kels. It's true. It's true. Right on. Okay, folks. So uh, the Stonewall Recovery Center here in Calgary is putting together their gala. As many of you know, I am putting together a list of 2S names to say to honor them because Steve, the executive director like that is his vision and part of the work that he's doing for the National Inquiry Calls to Justice and uh, Reconciliation in general. Just don't hesitate to message or email me that name if you want it added. Uh, Our book club, last night we did Disarm, Defund, Dismantle. Um, What a great book. And in fact, it was said, this book should be required reading for all uh, Canadians. And I would tend to agree with that because I think it really highlights um, the dismantling that we've seen, the erosion in our healthcare, our mental health care, and, and talks about gaps that we've always had that have been amplified. And now all the funding is going to policing when that is not the answer. They're not trained in the things that we need help with right now. And that's where a huge part of our budget is going. So our next book is about Palestine and Canada's role in Palestine as well. So I hope that you will consider joining our book club. It any it is open to anyone. It is just a Zoom. And uh, we meet the second month of every Monday. So um, sorry, let me say that one more time. The second Monday of each month. <laughs> and if you are interested in doing actual work as opposed to oh my god it's so stunning solidarity with indigenous people we have the reconciliation action group here uh this weekend was super bowl and there was a lot of uh internet chat and education about how indigenous people are not mascots but we have mascots issues here in calgary that we've been trying to work with these uh ridiculous education boards on and they're putting up all the barriers to continue to be racist so If you're interested in being a part of action, join our Reconciliation Action Group. But also, if you are not in the Calgary area, go and look at the reconciliation committees in your churches and your sports teams, etc. And if there's not one there, make one. I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training and cultural first aid in all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, and 2SLGBTQ to speak. According to the 2023 Quality of Life Report from the Calgary Foundation, 88% of racialized Calgarians feel uncomfortable or out of place because of their religion, ethnicity, skin color, culture, language, accent, gender, or sexual orientation, which was up from 75% in 2022. And as I say in every podcast, I'll imagine that number will go up even more 
in 2024 because of the issue with uh, Palestine being a genocide and Islamophobia, um, anti-Semitism, anti-Palestinian in general. You're not even seeing that word in the media. Uh, 84% of racialized Calgarians believe that racism exists and 66% of non-racialized Calgarians believe that. And we were just talking about, uh, funny enough, that conversation of how there's no racism in Canada. Well, there's the stats to show it. Thank you to Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca. They have a great section on what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Their work and those cultural action tools are available. So please support Indigenous work like that as a part of your settler understandings, reconciliation work, and treaty partnership. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat it here. Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence that Indigenous and equity-deserving groups experience by the structure of racism. You can go to racialequitytools.orgs. Donna Bevins has a great section on what is internalized racism, and if you can drop her a a dollar or two, that would be fabulous. Uh, Do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee is afsc.org. And to anyone who follows me, I'd love for you to watch the YouTube presentation by the anti-racism organizational lead of the city of Calgary doing the presentation on becoming an anti-racism leader. I think it's really important that every single person sees themselves as as an anti-racism leader. Uh, Calgary Black Lives Matter activists Taylor McNally and Adora Nofor are being legally targeted. Uh, While they have dropped Adora's charges at the moment, the damages have been done. Please join Stop the Stack YYC and see some of the upcoming actions that they've been having on Fridays and Sundays in order to acknowledge incarceration injustices that are happening. I think that uh, if you read this disarm, dismantle, defund, you're going to see that the justice within the justice uh, injustice system <laughs> needs to change as well. Anyway, Indigenous people have been talking about this, uh, these issues and more and sharing our traumas in reports, commissions and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and their platforms. If they don't recognize um, equity seeking groups and their budgets with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants and folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that politician or party directly negatively impacts uh, equity-seeking people, demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform and violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Provincially, we have the 113 Pathways to Justice, and we also have the White Goose Flying Report in the city of Calgary. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in every institution with multiple reports that say that. Uh, Demand changes from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, gendered violence, they have zero business running. Um, And this should be all Canadians seeing that within themselves your community organizations, your sports clubs, Google articles on how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies because there's a million ways. And the more you lift, the less I have to. (laughs) Stephanie Harp, she was on our podcast about a year ago and she was talking about trying to reach our allies to reach out and write more about the crises that we are facing. Uh, You can also go to aboriginalalert.ca to sign up for the missing and murdered Indigenous folks in your area. And she's working with the Missing Children Society of Canada, who also have an app. So hopefully some work will get done there. And uh, womenshomelessness.ca had a great statement about demanding urgent action to protect the lives of Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit and gender-diverse people experiencing homelessness. Um, 
and then as well, you know, we have data for the drug poisoning deaths happening in Alberta, which is another form of genocide that's continuing. Um, so we've had Dr. Owen uh, Thompson come on many times, and I encourage you to be following him and his work. Lots of new stats coming out about the new records that we're setting with those poisonings. So if you know somebody who's using substances, do not use alone. If you are using alone, you can contact the National Overdose Response Service at 888-688-NORS, or you can download some apps. There's the Brave Doors and Lifeguard apps that you can uh, have as an Indigenous person. I know how incredibly um, hard it is to access naloxone and Narcan and at these pharmacies that are supposed to be given out for free. So if I, a housed person who is married and living a good life, can't access them without discrimination and barriers, please know that is exactly what our unhoused population is experiencing. And you can do more by having naloxone kits on you and working harder at helping folks that are doing that work on the, on the streets. So uh, Bear Clans in Calgary, we have Street Cats, YYC, and, and actually a ton of different organizations that are trying to help feed the homeless. And uh, I would also argue that you need to be writing your MLAs and talking to them about the funding that these nonprofits are getting and where that money is going. Because I know the CEOs sure are making a hundred or six digits, but um, why is it we can't seem to get naloxone and Narcan to the people who need them? Anyway, if you are experiencing emotional distress after the things I talked about, please call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 855-242-3310. It is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They also have a website, hopeforwellness.ca, that has one of those chat boxes. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can call 844 844- 413-6649. We have a 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta at ssisa.ca. The Indigenous uh, Residential School Survivors and Family Hotline is 866-925-4419. And the Native Youth Crisis Hotline is 877-209-1266. For non-Indigenous people, there are distress center lines in your area, usually a functioning 211, and a new national number of 988, and you can also call 833-456-4566 or text at 45645. You can go to crisisservicescanada.ca for even more resources, and of course, Kids Help Phone 1-800-668-6868. The following are the two SLGBTQ crisis support lines. You can go to lifevoice.ca. A huge shout out to the Trevor Project. The Trans Lifeline is eight five or sorry eight seven seven three three zero six three six six, and the Youth Line eight six six eight four four seven three eight six. Violence is my everyday reality. I started this podcast for all the indigenous generations that face it we this is self-care a way to take our power back a way to not have tone policing interruption leadership shaming gaslighting questions by people who don't really want to hear indigenous opinions but one sure want to tell us theirs even if it's uninformed about colonialism the constant surveillance of our people protest visuals and our rights i and many others share microaggressions daily it's unacceptable anymore learn about being trauma informed folks like myself are dealing with internalized racism gatekeeping folks that survive off the status quo and stop the good work from going deplete that personal resource so internal and external racism is an everyday reality for me indigenous peoples folks with disabilities qt bipoc and more and i just want to acknowledge that Masi Cho to my ancestors, to my granny, my mom, what strength looks like through your examples. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots, and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian is through her. I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. Uh, Thank you to my husband, Darcy, uh, for producing and editing the show, being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, 
we are blessed to learn from you daily and honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my, my youngling and family are proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand down the road. Uh, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I want to end by giving side-eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not traditional. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you, folks, for listening.